Well, um, we are coming to the end of uh, this book in the Bible, 2 Timothy, which means we're also coming to the end of this series, Famous Last Words. And so we're going to read through to the end of this book today. And I'm not saying, you know, Pastor Sean, you, know, you never know. He may come back with some final words beyond this. But as far as I know, we're closing out this book today. And it was an interesting experience for me this week as I dug deep into these final verses. Because what I was doing is I was kind of, I was trying to put myself in Paul's place. And I was trying to imagine Paul's situation that he was in. Um, and it's, it's not hard to do with the way that he closes this out. This part of 2 Timothy, probably more than any other part of the book, really feels like a letter. You know, uh, it, it feels like a person writing a letter to another person. <clears throat> There's some things that he talks about in here that are practical. There's some things that he talks about in here that are kind of anecdotal. And it just feels like somebody writing somebody a letter. But you can look just a little bit deeper into what he's saying, and you can hear something in what he's saying. And I believe that uh, there's something very, very crucial in what Paul is communicating to Timothy here um, in this. Now, since we are summarizing and closing out not only this book and this sermon series, but really all of Paul's writings. I want to read a little summary that I pulled out of an article I was reading this week. I just want to read it to you just because it kind of sums things up. Paul is about to die. He had devoted his life to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'd fought for sound teaching in the churches. He had trained pastors. He had corrected individuals, churches, and even apostles. He had testified before kings. Now Paul's work was almost done. But even though Paul would soon leave the world behind, he wasn't leaving the world without a representative for truth. Timothy, Paul's protege, his son in the Lord, needed to carry on Paul's standard of sound teaching. And so this is really what we've been looking at for the past couple months is Paul's, it's like if he has one last chance to impart to his main disciple, his main protege, important things. This is what we've been looking at, famous last words. And so let's go ahead and read through the remainder right now, 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 22. <clears throat> Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, 
But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the house of Onesiphorus. I got it right. Last night I had trouble with it. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, uh, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you. By the way, if any of you are expecting children and you haven't picked out a name yet, Eubulus, I believe, is available. As do, as do Pudens. There's another great one. And Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So <clears throat> these verses give us really kind of an intimate view into Paul's life. Um, Pastor Sean showed us the video uh, a few weeks ago of what his holding cell likely looked like, where it probably was and all of that. And so we get this idea, Paul's basically just living in a dirt floor pit, right? And this is his life. He's awaiting execution. And... Um, one of the first things that he does in this section right here is he insists that Timothy come quickly. And that, again, it was the, the experience of reading through these verses this week for me was almost a, kind of a heavy experience because I, I started imagining Paul's situation. And so he has Timothy, this young man that he's raising up in the ministry and he sees him as a son and he really cares for Timothy and he knows he's near the end of his life and he just wants to see Timothy again. He wants to sit down and talk with Timothy again. And so he tells Timothy, come quickly. And then Paul starts talking about how people have begun to leave him, forsake him, run off. And actually, we saw this all the way back in the beginning of this series in chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. But here he talks about Demas. And Demas was Paul's trusted associate. Demas is mentioned in other parts of the New Testament, in Philemon and Colossians. And uh, it's interesting because if you look at the timeline, and, and I know you can kind of read into this a little bit, but if you look at the timeline, Demas is mentioned in Philemon, uh, and Paul says, Demas, my fellow servant, greets you. And so just in that simple statement, you get kind of an idea of their relationship, their working relationship. Two years later, Paul writes to the church in uh, the Colossians, and Paul says, he just says, Demas greets you. And so, you know, it's not the same. But then, here, several years later in 2 Timothy, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me. And so you see this person that he trusts, he works with. You imagine he's like a ministry partner. He's helping him. They're traveling together. They're seeing lives change. They're seeing churches established. And he's gone. He leaves him in his time of need. Paul says, Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, 
We don't know exactly why they left. It could have been to go do a missionary work. We just know they're no longer with Paul. So Paul does say, Luke alone is with me in verse 11. And then Paul talks about Alexander the coppersmith. He's not a good guy. We, we're, not a, we're not a fan of Alexander the coppersmith. Um, he's possibly the one who's responsible for Paul being in prison and, and, and maybe even the one who's, who's responsible for Paul getting executed. But verses 14 through 17 basically deal with the harm he did to Paul. And uh, so again, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. He strongly opposes our message. Then he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Do you see what's happening here? Through the, book, through the book of 2 Timothy, we see these people that had signed up to be with Paul, to walk with Paul, uh, to be friends with Paul, and they're just going off their different directions um, at times when Paul needs them. And so <clears throat> pressure, pain, and difficulty will reveal the quality of a relationship, Right? You've heard, it's an old phrase, but you've heard the phrase, fair weather friends, right? And, and that's not a difficult thing to sign up for, fair weather friends. But pressure, pain, and difficulty reveals the quality of a relationship, a friendship. And so we've all seen, <laughs> everybody in here has seen a post like this over the last year. Well, this last year has really revealed who my real friends are, right? Maybe it is some of you. I don't know. But it's, it's this, this idea that pressure, pain, and difficulty reveal the real quality of a relationship. And unfortunately for Paul, um, that's what happened. But we need each other. Amen? We need each other. Let's, everybody go ahead and say that. We need each other each other. So this is a powerful quote. I always use this quote whenever we do our Discover the Journey classes, which again, if you haven't signed up for that and you're interested in being a part of Journey Church, sign up for Discover the Journey. But when we start talking about groups and community and things like that, there's a quote that I like to use and it says, there are some aspects of the nature of God that you will only experience in relationship with others. There are some aspects of the nature of God you will only experience in relationship with others. Now, what that means is you can be on fire for Jesus. You can be spending three hours a day in prayer, three hours a day studying your Bible. You got your journal out. You, you know, you're worshiping like crazy. All your neighbors know you love to worship. You can be that person. And you will experience God, and you will encounter God by doing those things. I mean, it's a promise in his word. But there are some aspects of the nature of God that he reserves for relationships. Because it's how he works. It's what he wants. It's how his kingdom works. He's wanted from the beginning to be a father with a family. And he wants a bond of unity among his children. And so there are aspects of the nature of God the goodness of God, the joy of the Lord that you only experience in relationship with other people. We need each other. We need people. 
We're not meant to walk alone. We're not designed to walk alone and isolated. So I only have two points today, and um, they're simple. And the first point is this. People need you. People need you. We have to... We have to get it out of our thinking that everything works. Um, I should have had some kind of picture on the screen to illustrate this. But we have to get it out of our thinking that everything, everything works horizontally. So that there's God above all and God is individually connected to each individual person. Like he's a father with billions of only children, right? We have to get that out of our mind, you know, and, 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 and that thinking sometimes comes into play when we're praying for people, you know. Well, did you hear that so-and-so's in the hospital? Lord, I just pray that you would touch him. I pray that you would encourage him. Lord, I pray that you would bring him joy. God, I pray that you would, you know what? God wants to do all those things for that person, and he might want you to be the one that does it. People need you. People need you. You, this is, this is a powerful thing. You might be somebody's miracle. You might be somebody's miracle. Paul needed a friend and a supporter as he waited in a dungeon to die. Paul needed an advocate and a friend to stand by him on trial. And people ran off. People need you. <clears throat> and there are people who need the support, the encouragement, the joy, uh, the wisdom that you can bring. And it's, it might be a simple thing for you, but it might make all the difference for them. So people need you. And here's the thing. People need you because they need God. Would everybody at least agree with me that people need God? People need God. But, we, but we've established already, and we're getting ready to establish even more, that God chooses to operate through us. And so logic would follow if people need God and God operates through us, people need you. People need you. God wants to move through you to meet other people's needs. So, you know, again, many times God will meet their needs through you. Now, we talked about Demas just a few minutes ago. Paul was relying on Demas in his hour of need. And one of the first things that he says in this little section that we're reading here is, Demas has forsaken me. And he says he deserted Paul because his focus was pulled to the things of this world. Verse 10 says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That doesn't mean that Demas fell away from God, became a crime lord and a drug dealer, you know, a human trafficker. No, it just says that Demas was in love with this present world. It, he simply, here's what it is, and here's how it hits home for me and for you. He simply allowed the issues of this life to have a higher place of influence than the purposes of God. He simply allowed the issues of this life to have a higher place of influence than the purposes of God. 
That doesn't mean you don't have issues of life. That doesn't mean you don't have things you need to do, things that, that need to get done, places you need to go, objectives that you need to meet. We all have that. But Demas allowed those things to have a higher place of influence in his life than the purposes of God. The purposes of God for Demas at that time was to be a support and an encouragement and a help for Paul. So God wants to use you in a simple ways every day. Um, if you ever join us in midday prayer, this is something we pray a lot there is, God, what can I do today for someone else? And uh, Sarah, my wife, and I were talking a few months ago, and it's one of those things where we were talking about the simplest thing, you know, that we all know, and somehow just like a little bit more revelation dropped into my heart while we were talking. And we were talking about the idea that God works with us on a day-to-day basis. Now, he gives us vision that reaches far, far out ahead of us. But Jesus, think about what Jesus said when the disciples asked him how to pray. How do we pray? Jesus, one of the things Jesus said is, give us this day our daily bread. And we need to be thinking, in addition to thinking vision and thinking future, we need to be thinking, God, what does this day hold for you? It's like Pastor Sean will say, you know, God, what are you doing today and how can I be a part of it? And what I believe is every day there's something, and it may be, it may seem like the most insignificant thing to you, but I believe every day there's something that you can do to help, support, and encourage another person. It might just be a text you send to somebody. It might be a call. It might be meeting with somebody for coffee for 20 minutes. It, it, might, it might seem like a small thing to you, but it might be exactly what they needed at that point in time. Because God is the one that knows, right? We don't know. We don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. We're trusting him. We're following him. He's giving us the roadmap each day for what we need to do. But people need you. People need you. So what most people need from us are basically two things. Two things. Uh, the first thing is time. Time. Time is so important. Think about it like a commodity. Think about it like money. Time can be spent. It can be wasted. It can be invested. Uh, it can be saved. Time. People need time. And uh, you can budget your time. And I realize because this is true in my life, and I know it's probably true in yours, time is a premium, right? Most of us don't have an enormous amount of unbudgeted time just laying around. Most of us don't. Most of us are doing something during the day that requires a lot of time, and most of us have activities that go on at night that require a lot of our time. When we give our, the first of our time to God and then to our spouse, our family, we work our job. We try to get in six to eight hours of sleep. I mean, there's not always a lot of time left over. But we have to budget our time the same way we budget our money. I know I'm getting real practical here, but this is part of what it takes to be available for God to use you for other people. So you can take a look, even this next week, you can take a look at 
and identify where your unbudgeted time are and then choose to, again, we're comparing it to money, choose to invest it in someone else. And it's an investment that'll reap a return, a reward, a harvest. So what people might need from you is encouragement, friendship, counsel, prayer. This is how the kingdom of God works. So people need our time. But when you have worked that out and you've figured that out and you've gotten a handle on how to uh, manage your time so that it's available, you've built in a margin, right? So that God can use you, what's the word say? Instant in season and out of season. You've created a margin where it's like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do today. When you've worked on that, then the other thing that people need is presence. Presence. Not Christmas presents, but your present. You being present with them. <clears throat> because, and this is something that I believe is a problem today. And I'm one of the people that struggle with it. Um, just like probably lots of people do in this room watching online. It's, we struggle with really, truly being present with people. And so when you have budgeted your time and you have invested your time, you've got to be sure that that time is being used wisely and so that you're present with people. So I do have a way that I want to illustrate this to you that I think is something you all will relate to. So I have a video. Let's go ahead and show that video. Well, we're talking about how important it is to understand that people need you. People need you. And to, to meet that need, you have to, number one, invest your time, make a choice to invest, to budget your time and invest it in that person. And the second thing is when you invest your time, when you have set aside time to be with that person, to help encourage them, be present with them. Be fully engaged. Be fully focused on that person. And I want to talk about a really simple thing that may seem like a small insignificant thing, but it's not. It's a simple but powerful thing that you can do to increase your ability to be present with someone. Now, I'm talking about these devices right here. And my guess is that every person in this room, maybe with just a couple exceptions, has one of these on you right now. You may actually be looking at it right now. <laughs> but here's some scary things about this. Uh, they are very convenient. They do make things easier. In fact, I'm using my phone right now to record this video. So yeah, I, phones are not evil. These kinds of devices are not evil. Social media in and of itself is not an evil thing but the impact and the influence it can have on our life and our relationships has the potential for harm. There's a study that came out last year that says that uh, the average American will spend 76,500 hours of their life staring into this screen. 76,500 hours. Now, as scary as that is, a more recent statistic uh, paints an even worse picture because they arrived at that number by saying if an average person gets a device at 10 years old and they spend an average of three hours a day, that's how they arrived at that number. They're saying now, though, that the more accurate number is up to four hours a day. So it's a higher number. That's a lot of time to be spent looking at this screen. 
And as, like I said, as uh, convenient and easy as they make things, these devices have the potential and the power to rob you of your ability to be present with someone. And here's what I want to do. Let me just show you what this looks like. And I'm going to tell you, I'm the first one to say, I'm guilty of this. I have done this. And if I've ever gone to coffee with you to just sit and talk with you, and I've done this, which I probably have, I apologize. <laughs> because it's not good. It's not a good thing to do. But let's say you and me, we're here and we're meeting for coffee. And I take this phone out and I put it on the table right here. What is that telling you? What is that saying to you? Number one, it's saying you do not have my full attention. My attention is divided between you and this. And you better know that if this thing vibrates or if it dings, you're gonna lose me for five to 10 seconds, maybe more, because I've got to know what it's telling me. This, this preempts our time together Anytime it dings or rings or vibrates or rumbles or whatever, right? And the second thing that it's telling you is, let's say that I have, I don't know, 500 contacts, something like that. It's telling you that not only are you and I here meeting, but a potential of 500 other people can interrupt our conversation anytime they want to. It's, now, I could tell you, uh, you know, well, I'm going to turn my ringer off for this. <laughs> Isn't that a nice thing to do? Or I, could, or I could stop what you're saying and check the message and I could say, you know what, I'm not gonna respond to that right now. Wasn't that magnanimous of me to do that? No, it's not, that's not the message you want to send to someone. What you need to do, and I'm just giving you solid advice here. What you need to do is put this thing away. If you're spending time with someone, if you wanna be present with someone, if you want to meet someone else's need, put this in your pocket, leave it in the car, don't put it on the table, don't let this have a place at the table when you are devoting and focusing your time on someone else because people need you and they need all of you, not just the part of you that's not focused on this, right? Anyway, I'm guilty, I've done it many times and as I work on uh, cutting the cord with this thing when I'm meeting with people, I encourage you to do the same thing. People need us. Let's be there for them. It's true. It's just true. So the, the first point, the first of two points here is people need you. And the second is, can any of you guess? You need people. You need people. As much as people need you, you're a people too. And you need people. You need people. Listen, I want to read you a few verses here just that, that pull out this idea that we have to work together. There's a, there's a one another that is a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, that talks about the kingdom of God works as a one another. Listen to these. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. People need each other. People are not designed for 
isolation. You know, there are some countries that solitary confinement is considered inhumane punishment. People need each other. Sarah and I like to watch this show called Alone. Has anybody seen Alone? Yeah. So if you haven't seen Alone, it's one of these survival shows, you know, where uh, you got, you've got these contestants that are competing for this giant cash prize. And what they, they send them off to like Patagonia or Alaska or somewhere, the Arctic, you know, somewhere where they have to survive. And the only stipulation is, you know, they get to bring some survival gear and things like that, is they have to live alone the longest. So whoever can hold out the longest gets this giant cash prize at the end. Anyway, it's entertaining because, especially the first episode of each season, all of the seasons we've seen, what they have in the first episode is they've got everybody's, you know, backstory, right? You know, it shows them in their backyard getting ready for this whole deal, you know, building their little stick shelters and they're working up on their woodcraft skills, their bushcraft skills and all that stuff and talking about how they're going to dominate this competition. And then there's always one or sometimes two people that can't make it through the first 24 hours. I mean, three o'clock in the morning, they're sitting there in their, in their wood shelter with their, with their camera light on their face, tears streaming down their face. I had no idea it was gonna be so hard to be away from everybody. It's like it hasn't even been 24 hours. 24 hours, it's like a million dollars, you know? Now, obviously, there are people that's like, I can do this for the rest of my life, but those people are kind of the exceptions. But what it does is, in a, to me, a funny way, is it exposes this truth that we aren't designed to be isolated, to live in isolation. You need people. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We build each other up. We bear each other's burdens. We stir each other up for good works. It doesn't happen by yourself. This is normal. This is the kingdom of God. And then Romans 12, 5 uh, uh, let's see, verses 4 through 5 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one in the body of Christ and individually members one of another. That's like this hand right here cannot function apart from this body. It has a purpose. It was, it was made with a purpose. God designed it. But it is designed to function in conjunction with the rest of this body. It's supposed to work with the whole body. You're that way. That's what this is saying. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God gives you gifts. But the gifts that God gives you are not for you. You see how that works? Again, this is revealing how the kingdom of God, how the family of God works. God's given each one of you gifts, but they're not for you. They're for others. 
And the things that you benefit from are gifts in other people's lives that come to you as a blessing, a help, an encouragement, a support. So you might be praying right now something along the lines of, God, I need joy to overcome depression. God, I need strength to overcome weakness. I'm guessing there are people in this room right now that are praying, God, I need peace to overcome anxiety. But what if the answer to all those prayers are already here in others? And you're, you're like this person that's just waiting for God to directly meet that need, which sometimes he does. It's not to say that that never happens that way. That happens for me a lot. The Holy Spirit will strengthen me. And we could, we could do a whole other message on that. But if we believe that that's the only way that God operates, there are some aspects of the nature of God you will not experience unless you're in relationship with other people. There's, a, there's this story that uh, you have probably heard before. In fact, I'm pretty sure Pastor Sean has used this illustration before, but it works so well, I'm going to share it again. So it's about, there's a guy who is stranded on his rooftop in a flood as the floodwaters are rising. Have you heard this story? And he's praying and he's saying, God, save me. Lord, I trust in you. I have faith in you. God, save me from these floodwaters. And then before too long, a guy comes by in a raft, rowing his raft. And he says, hey, jump in. The floodwaters are rising. And he's like, that's all right. God's going to save me. I have, I'm trusting God. And so the guy goes on. And God, save me. Lord, deliver me. And then here comes a guy in a bigger boat with an outboard motor. And he's like, I'm, I'm getting people out of here. I'm getting people off the roofs. Come on, jump in the boat. Let's go. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you for your concern. But I'm trusting God. My faith's in God. So there goes the guy. God, save me. God, deliver me. Rescue me from these floodwaters, Lord. And then he's interrupted by the sound of a helicopter coming overhead. You know, the, the rope ladder is, is lowering down. Somebody's yelling on a megaphone. Grab the ladder. We want to get you out of here. The, the waters are almost at your feet. It's okay. I'm trusting God. So they go off. And you know what happens. The, the waters get higher. He doesn't make it. He drowns, and he's in heaven. And he's like, God, here's my first question. What's the deal? I prayed, and I trusted you, and I had faith in you to save me. And God's like, I sent you a raft and a boat and a helicopter. What else do you want? And that's how it works in our life many, many times. I've been the person that's done that myself. You need people. You need people. That's a need that God designed into you. And, you know, let me say this as I'm kind of coming in for a close right now. But if you are feeling disconnected, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling lonely, it's not so much a circumstance or a situation that's the issue. You're just bumping up against that need that God placed in you. 
You're just becoming aware of that need. It's a need that God designed. Let me ask the band to go ahead and come back up. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalms 133.1. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It also goes on to talk about Aaron's beard in that little bit, little bit later. But it's talking about how wonderful it is, how awesome it is when people are connected, when people are in unity, when people are in community. We're designed for that. We're made for that. So Paul closes out this final letter by greeting people and blessing Timothy And so as far as Paul's letters go, his last words are, grace be with you. Grace be with you. And we need God's grace. To be able to really see this and really understand this, that that people need us and that we need people, because in some ways it runs contrary to the messages that we hear all the time today. We need God's grace to really be able to get this revelation. And so let me ask you to stand up and I just wanna pray and we're gonna worship one more time. God, we recognize that you have designed us to fit together as parts of a body fit together. And Lord, I believe that there are, are people here right now, people watching online, that are seeing that there are areas of their life where they are living in isolation. They have cut off connection. Maybe it's because of an offense. Maybe it's because of an insecurity. It could be any number of reasons, but Lord God, we're recognizing that you've designed us like a branch that's connected to the trunk of a tree to receive life through the body. And so, God, I pray that, number one, you would help us to see every opportunity and to have a willing heart to meet other people's needs, to be available for other people, to be willing to be led by your spirit, to give an encouraging word, shoot a text to somebody that lifts them up, bring them something that, that brightens their day. And, Lord, I also pray that you would give us the understanding, the revelation in our heart that we would understand that we need people. And that some of the things that we've been asking you for and waiting on you for, you've already provided, but it's in, a, it's in the hands of another person. And so God, we just want to understand your ways and your kingdom and your family better than ever, God. So Lord, we just, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you are present with us, that you are focused on us, that your focus is not divided. We say, Lord, make us more like you, Jesus.